Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, welcome to Bridge Church. We're so glad that you are here. Is there a better place to be on a Sunday morning than right here with our family? I mean, I submit that there is not. If, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Daniel Smith. I have the privilege and honor of being the student's pastor as well as part of the family ministry. Hey, thanks guys. Yeah. And uh, some of my students are spread out. We're really excited you guys are here. And also this past week, it was my birthday. So I got to say thank you, thank you. Uh, If you live north of Bethany and east of 75, you're invited to my birthday party that's happening here at three o'clock. Tatramani said he was bringing a pinata. I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not, Tatramani's not bringing a pinata. Uh, But man, I don't know about you, but birthdays do something to me, right? Like if, if you are the person who's like, man, my birthday is a party and I'm celebrating for a whole week or whatever. But for me, birthdays, I'm normally really excited, really energetic, really looking for the next thing to have a good time and have fun. Uh, but birthdays, for whatever reason, turn me to be introspective, right? I look inward and I consider myself. It's a really dark day. I'm, just, I'm like, and I turned 41 this year, so it was even more shaking. I'm like, man, I'm officially over said hill. And, I, and as I sat there, one of the things I decided to do is like, I'm going to open up my day with some contemplative prayer. And I took an app and I started to listen to it. As I started to listen to this app, I started to realize they, they started talking about my, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nowen. And he wrote this book in the name of Jesus. I highly recommend you to read it. It's incredible. But as they're talking about this author, all of a sudden they were like, give me information I did not know ahead of time. And that was that he had died. And not only had he died, he died on my birthday. And I was a little bit like, what is happening right now? As, as the kids say, I was shook or jarred or shocked. I don't know what decade you were born in. Just fill in your adjective there. That's where I was. And I was like, what is going on? And this whole day ends up turning into this just cacophony of nostalgia, right? So I'm, I'm in there, I'm like, man, this guy's dead. I didn't know this. And then later on that evening, I got to go to the Switchfoot concert and they were celebrating an album that had come out 20 years ago that I was playing in my car when I met my wife and they start singing this song, I was meant to live for so much more. And inside, I'm just like, am I living what I was meant to live for? How do I know? How, how do I know at the end of my life that I'm living for the more that I was meant to live for? And thank you, Switchfoot, for giving me this existential crisis right now as I'm supposed to be celebrating. It was a tough day, guys. It was a tough day. But I think the thing that I wanted us to consider is, man, how can you know that you're living for what matters? How can you know that at the end of your life, your life has had significance and matters? And as I sat there pondering that question, I hope that's the question that we get to answer with each other today. I turned to God's word to look for an answer. And there's some famous last words that I'd love for us to consider as we think about How do I know that my life has mattered? So if you got your Bibles, open them up. We're going to 2 Timothy 4. 
These are the words that I went to, because this is a guy who, as he's ending his life, like Paul's writing in 2 Timothy, this is the last book that he writes before he dies, and this is the chapter that he ends it out to, to the person who he's invested years of his life into. He's brought on mission trips with him, he's taken him to like start churches, plant churches, and he's left him to plant a church and oversee a church, and as he ends his life, and as he ends this letter, he says this in chapter 4, verses 6 through he says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And it just shocked me. I'm over here going, how do I know that my life matters? And I read these words and this guy who's about to die is so content. He said, I know that I've finished this race. I know that my life has mattered and had significance. And I'm just looking at these verses and I'm wondering, Paul, how do you know that? How could you know that? And I think he gives us an answer. If, in my Bible, it's one page over. It might be more than that in yours. I'm not really sure. In 2 Timothy 2. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he's talking to this person who he said, hey, I'm about to die, and I'm fully good with it. I know that the impact that I have made has made a difference. Because, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, Timothy, I can lay my head down knowing that I've mattered and that it's accomplished because this baton of faith that I have, I'm handing to you. Friends, today when we talk about being on brand, we're talking about the most on brand things that Christians have ever been about, and that is discipleship. It's passing the baton of faith from one person to the next and entrusting them to pass that baton to somebody else. I didn't know if you know this, but you're in a relay race and you're either receiving the baton or you're passing the baton, but you're in this race and we are in this race together entrusting the faith to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. This is discipleship. And here's the crazy thing. Handing off a baton is not an easy task. I, I did a little bit of research. Uh, the U.S. track team used to dominate in the 4x100. And this is a baton. This is a relay race. They'd run. They'd hand the baton off. And in the past, since 2004, they got a medal, but they didn't get the medal they should have gotten because they botched the handoff. And then from 2004, that was the last time we medaled in the relay race, largely in part because we couldn't hand the baton off to someone else. We've botched it, we've dropped it, we've done all kinds of things. We didn't hand it off in the right space. And, and like, as you sit here and you think, man, how is that a difficult task? You run, you hand a stick to someone else, and they run. I have a little bit of personal experience with this. When I was, uh, when I was teaching and coaching at a private Christian school in the area, at one point I'm like, hey, I'm coaching football, I'm teaching science, I'm running in my lane, right? 
Like these are the two things that I'm good at and I know. And then they came to me in the spring and they said, hey Daniel, we'd like for you to be the head coach of our middle school track program. And I looked at them and I said, I have never competed in anything in track. I haven't done an event. I haven't run a race. I haven't, like the only running I've ever done was wind sprints for football. I don't understand. Like I don't, I've never even been to a track game or match meet. There we go. Look, all I know is they took all weekend. Like that's, that's what I know. It was, my weekend was shot whenever I was doing track. And so here's the deal. <laughs> like we had, we were really good at track guys. Uh, and we were coaching this, but I was looking over everything. I didn't touch pole vault cause that seemed too dangerous, but everything else I was looking over And the most difficult thing that we had was the relay race. It was one of the things that I was like, you put your four fastest there, you let them hand a stick to each other and you're good, right? And it doesn't matter how fast the runner is if they can't take the baton. I was introduced to all these different rules. You only have a certain amount of space to run to get the baton. If you drop the baton, you're not out. You can pick it up, but let's be honest, if you drop the baton, you're kind of out anyway. If you go into somebody else's lane when you're handing off the baton, you're out, you're disqualified. If the baton rolls into someone else's lane, you're out, you're disqualified. I was like, this is crazy. And as I put the four fastest people in there, man, we lost a lot of races because we dropped a lot of batons. And what I found out is, it's not about how fast you run the race, it's about how well you communicate with one another and hand the baton off to each other. And this is what we're on brand to do. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna answer a couple of questions. We're gonna answer a question of who is or what is a disciple? And we're gonna answer the question of how are disciples made? But before we jump into any of that, I think for the most part, when we've talked about discipleship in these spaces in church, we've set our bar far too low. We've had a standard that is easily surpassed and leaves us bored and wondering what we're doing in this room. We think that the pinnacle of discipleship is this. I attend regularly on a Sunday. I watch a good show. Maybe that impacts me, maybe that doesn't. I read my Bible every day, mainly as a self-help book to improve maybe me, myself as a father or a wife or a spouse or an employee or a friend. And I'm, I'm looking at this book, trying to figure out how it like informs my life and how I just can make everything better within me. It's more self-help. We confess to try and manage behavior. And then we wonder why we think the Christian life is boring. And my friends, I just wanna look at you and tell you, I don't think that's what Christ died for. I think what Christ died for is actual discipleship. A faith that's not focused on myself, but a faith that was outward looking. When we ask the question, what is a disciple? If you look it up in Greek and you look the definition up, you kind of get a bunch of different answers. It's a student, it's a learner, it's an apprentice, it's a follower. And truly, like, that's what they would say. They are followers. To the point that Christians for the longest time were called followers of the way. To the degree that in like Hebrew, like in the Old Testament, one of the things they would say is, <laughs> one of the things they would say is, uh, a blessing would be, 
May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So like you follow your rabbi so closely that you'd be covered in their dust. They were known as followers. And that idea of followers has just been honestly taken and run with uh, whenever social media has come out to be, hey, who do I observe from afar? Maybe I envy their lifestyle. I like their posts. Who observes me from afar? We don't actually have any kind of relationship. They click a like button, they, they post something or they reshare whatever I shared, and that's my followers. And, and follower here means something so much more intimate. And so as we consider who a disciple is, we consider who are they following. Jesus says it this way. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. As we consider what a follower is, we consider what a disciple is, we consider who they follow. And the truth of the matter is we are all disciples. We are all following something or someone. And in this, we have to consider who it is that we're following. Who is it that we are looking to uh, saying like, man, this is the way that you live life and we're submitting our life to that person. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. He's saying, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And so we have to consider what has God, what has Christ commanded us. You see, discipleship is the marrying of two critical verses. The Great Commission, which we just read, and the Great Commandment. If Jesus is saying, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you, we have to look at what is the greatest commandment that he commanded us. And so if you don't know it, it's in Mark 12. In Mark 12, chapter, or Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, Jesus says this. And when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. He even says they sum up the law and the prophets. And so as we consider, who are we following what is this discipleship thing? What is a disciple? It's someone who follows after the person who sets the way of this is how you live your life. And for Christ, he says this, the way you live your life is to consider how you love God and love others. And this is where we get stuck. We think, man, I love God. And so then by loving God, I'm gonna study all that I can. I'm gonna read all that I can. I'm gonna accumulate all the information that I can so I can feel good about the fact that I think I love God because I know the most obscure Hebrew text of anybody else in the room. And we ignore that we would love others. Like this is the mission for us. And somehow we set the bar at do you read your Bible every day? Somehow we set the bar at, did you confess to your community group? Instead of, has your love for God increased this week? 
man, could you tell me about that so that my love for God could increase this week also? Man, how have you loved your neighbor this week? Could you tell me about that so that maybe I could love my neighbor this week and be inspired by what you did? We set the bar so low. When we settle for, hey, did you check these boxes? And not the presence of the living God loves me and I get to know him. This room becomes boring. But when you live in God's love for me, man, this Faith becomes the most compelling, exciting adventure you could ever embark upon. And when you invite other people in to follow you in that, guys, it's something different. It's something completely different. And it's worth giving all of who you are for. And so we're gonna ask the question today, if this is true, if I've been settling for far too low, if I've set the bar far too low and jumping a hurdle that, I, that is just easily to walk over and haven't been embracing the life of adventure that Christ has called me to, well then, how do I make disciples? How am I made a disciple? And I would tell you this, it's both equally caught and taught, right? We teach each other how to love God. And one of my favorite authors says it this way. Jen Wilkins says, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And so we have to increase our knowledge of who he is, right? Like when Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's actually quoting the Shema, which is like ancient Hebrew text in Deuteronomy that they were given as they were coming out of, Exod or coming out of Egypt in the Exodus. And that Moses looks to them and he says, this is what we are to be about as a people. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. And you shall commend these things today. Or sorry, and, you, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk with them. As you, as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and on, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house. See, this thing that we receive, we are to teach. And if you're sitting here, you're like, man, I don't know how to love God. This is where we come into play as a body and a family, right? Like this command that was given to the Israelites was not just given to a family, which is a way that I think most of the time we read this. It was given to a nation to say, help each other and, tr and trust this to each other. And so if you're in this room and you're like, man, I, I don't know how to love God with all of who I am, then we have places where we can help you learn how to read scripture. Not read scripture in a self-help way that says, let me make a better version of me. Not to look at scripture as like the latest John Acuff book or Craig Groeschel podcast, but to look at scripture and to say, how can I dwell with the living God today? And how can his love 
transform me. How can I be with him? It's to teach us how to pray. Like if you were to jump into men's Bible study right now, they're praying through the Psalms. And it's an invitation for us to learn how to pray, to learn how to talk to God and to listen from him. To teach us why we worship. Why do we gather in this room to sing together, to inform our hearts collectively about who he is. To teach us why we serve that God has specially, uniquely gifted us, as he talks about in Romans 12, is each a different part of the body that he might be glorified and built up. It's to teach us how to fast. Why do we fast? Not just so we can get in ketosis and look good for swimsuit season, but so that our dependence on him can inform our need in our life. It's taught. We have to put ourselves in intentional spaces for us to learn who this great God is so that our love might be informed by truth. Because here's the thing. If you say you love God, but you're not learning about him, you probably love an idol that you've created about him in your own mind. But if we get in spaces where we learn about him, we can actually see him for who he is. And that love can compel us into what he's done. It's not just caught, or it's not just taught, but it's also caught. Like in this Deuteronomy text, he tells us, Moses commands the people, hey, teach them these things all throughout the day. When you sit down, when you lie down, when you get up, when you walk along the way, when you write them on your house, you put them everywhere. This is something that not only we have to teach, but we have to model. If you've been in any of our parenting stuff, you've heard us say this, model, train, pray, and trust. You train them in the way, you model it with your behavior, you pray like crazy, and you trust the Lord with the results. And the truth of it is, if you're not modeling and you're only teaching, you're raising a hypocrite. The number one indicator of whether or not a student will continue in the faith after they graduated high school is, do they have a warm relationship with a father who loves the Lord? And so dads, I'm asking you to step up. It's a unique role that you sit in. And I have a unique perspective from it. Getting to be in the student pastor role here and getting to see people do it really, really well. And the impact that that has had on their students. And getting to see people miss it and the impact that that has had on their students. Fathers, if you're in this room and you're like, I wanna make a disciple of my kid, but I don't know how, please come to men's Bible study. Let us help you. The second indicating factor of whether or not someone continues in the faith is do they have someone outside of their family, part of their church, who will mentor them? This is why we have children's ministry set up the way we have children's ministry. So that someone who loves Jesus would step in the room with your kids and model the same things you're modeling at home and they can look at their body of faith and say, this thing is real. 
because it's not just in my home, but it's in my classroom. It's not just in my home, but it's in my small group with students. It's not just in my home, but it seems like everybody here does this. This must be real. It's modeled by what you do. And sometimes we unintentionally model things that we don't want them to do. For me, that happened this past year, but we're gonna back up about four years ago. About four years ago, I got to teach from this stage and I got to let you in on a family rule of mine and then I was promptly admonished by a thousand people. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's really humbling and I would welcome anybody to come and do it. But I, I let people in and I said, hey, our family has a small rule. And that small rule is, if you can catch it, you can pet it, right? Like, I thought it was a great rule. I thought, hey, we're gonna have a good time. I'm gonna raise super athletes. They're gonna chase rabbits in the backyard. They're gonna be super fast. Uh, and then as I shared that rule in front of everyone, everyone came up to me and said, hey, that's a bad rule. That rule's gonna end you up in the ER. And so far it hasn't ended up in the ER, but this past summer it did come back to bite me. We were walking home from the pool with some of our friends who live on mission with us in our neighborhood. It's such a blessing to have that. And as we round the corner, my, my boys had gotten ahead of me and I started to hear commotion. And as I started to hear this commotion, I'm rounding the corner thinking, okay, what are they doing? What do they get into? All that kind of stuff. And my youngest son, Micah, I round the corner to see him holding a three foot snake by the tail. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Micah, put it down. You know? And he's like, he's like, what? And I'm like, hey, buddy, you can't pick up a snake unless dad is with you. I'm probably going to be admonished for that one too. Like, you can't pick up a snake, but it's fine. <laughs> my house, it's whatever. You can't. So he's, he's looking at me like, dad, what's the problem? I've got, it's just fine. It's fine. I'm like, and I look at him, buddy, you don't know what snakes are venomous and what snakes aren't. You can't pick up a snake unless I'm with you. Kid you not, his response is this. But dad, I knew it was fine because I saw you do it. And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you now. <laughs> uh, put it down. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. When we are not intentional about the way we hand this baton off of faith to someone else, we unintentionally encourage them to pick up a snake. You can preach about forgiveness all you want in your home, but mom and dad, if you never ask for forgiveness from your student or from your kid, you're unintentionally discipling them to pick up a snake. If every time that sports and spiritual formation come into conflict, you choose sports over spiritual formation, you're unintentionally discipling them to pick up a snake. If you are the person who at your work is saying how much you love God and how much you go to church, but then when happy hour comes, you get blitzed like everybody else, you're unintentionally discipling your coworkers to pick up a snake. If you're the leader of FCA at your school and your conversation is no different than everyone else's in the locker room, you're unintentionally discipling them to pick up a snake. If your life doesn't model what scripture says that you believe, you're unintentionally causing others to pick up a snake. Think about it. And the way that you potentially argue with your spouse, 
you're unintentionally cycling to pick up a snake. In the way that you never share the gospel with someone else, you're unintentionally discipling them to pick up a snake. A baton handoff is harder than you think. I coached track, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was replaced by a couple. One of them ran track at Fresno State. Another one ran track at LSU. She won national championships. She was an alternate for the Olympic uh, team going into that year in the relay. Needless to say, that track program had a little bit of a glow up, you know? But here's what they could do. They could teach and they could model in a place where I could not. And here's what I wanna tell you. Even though I couldn't, they still got PRs because somebody intentionally leaned into their life and put effort and time and eyes on them to help them. Here's the other thing that I learned. I don't know anything about track, still don't. But there's joy in giving it away. Like those, those weekends that lasted so long, I found so much joy in the way that they approached their PRs. I found joy in the way that they grew. I found joy in the way that they like accomplished things they didn't think they could accomplish. This is part of what we look at when we talk about discipleship is that most of the time when we think about discipleship, we think of what it's gonna cost us. But if we consider what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, when he says this, therefore, being affectionately desirous of you, we shared not only the gospel with you, but also our very lives as well. And in that, hear this, they taught them and they modeled and they lived life on life with them. Being affectionately desirous of you. This journey of discipleship, while often we think about how much it costs us, is filled with joy when we lay our lives down for someone else. As we get to watch someone experience the love of Christ and the love of God and let that overflow into their life. When I, like, when I tell you, I get to see students do this every day. I got to have my friend Maddie Kidd. She came to uh, our Wednesday night gathering and she shared with our students the joy that she has in serving in the uh, preschool rooms and serving in Orange. And as she's talking to them and asking for more people to come and serve, she's not telling them like, hey, the people don't get to go to church if, the, if nobody's watching their kids. She talks to them about the joy she gets of seeing others embrace God's word. She's talking to them about the joy even on the days when she doesn't wanna go. When she thinks, oh man, this is gonna be tough. I don't know that I wanna walk in there. And then she gets in the room with the kids that she loves. And she just is like, there's nothing better. I personally can tell you the joy that I've gotten to have. Uh, we've got a picture of my small group that's gonna come up here in just a second. This is us in sixth grade. I've gotten to walk with these guys since they were in sixth grade and they're graduating seniors this year. 
Seven years of getting to walk alongside these guys. We had a lot of fun, put on silly costumes. And then this next picture, like they were all smaller than me and now they're not. <laughs> One, I'm a little bit like upset about that. But two, here's what you don't get to see. In sixth grade, it was like herding cats. We were, we were talking to them about, hey, this is how you talk to girls. This is how you don't talk to girls. This is how you talk to each other. This is what you don't do with a water gun. This is what you do do with a water gun. Like, here are some parameters in healthy discipleship. And this year, and even last year and the year before, I've gotten to see them give their lives away. They started to serve in kids' ministry. They started to serve in uh, wildlife, which is the junior high version of young life. They're leading small groups there and having so much fun doing it. They're going to Young Life Camp and serving as a kitchen crew because they want to have an impact on the next generation. They're laying their lives down with joy. And that has given me so much joy. And it's not about me per se, but it's about getting to watch somebody grow in their love for God and their love for people and put those two things together. Jim Elliott said it this way, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I just want to compel you. You are no fool to give up comfort and convenience to pour into the lives of others. Like, what are the things that compete in your mind for actually forming disciples? Is it your man cave? Somewhere where I can go and be by myself and watch a game, maybe like flaunt it in front of somebody else as the Super Bowl comes around? Is it your 401k? If I spend a little bit of extra time here, I get to make a little extra money here. Is it your influence on social media? I can't really go to that thing because that wouldn't look right and I might get flagged on social media and I might lose followers. Is it your appearance? I'm trading workout time for discipleship time. For the ways that we don't weigh the cost, we need to repent. We need to repent. We need to lay down the things that we'll never take with us to embrace the things that will last for eternity. Jesus says it this way in Mark 8, 34 through 35. He says it this way. He says, in crawling the crowd to himself, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For if anyone would lose his, or would seek to save his life in this world, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what I'm telling you is this, he's not just talking about eternal life and trusting him in the gospel, but what he's talking about is living on mission here, now. You find life in giving your life away. Why would you trade it for anything else? Why would you trade it for a lesser joy? There's so many opportunities here for you to either be made a disciple or to disciple someone else. There's so many places here where in your race, in that small pathway that you have to hand off this baton of faith, that you can embrace it and live for what matters and not what's convenient. Why would you trade that for something as small as retirement?
This is where life is found. Not in your comfort. Live for something more. Live to give away this baton. And see the joy that comes alongside it. See the adventure that you get to embrace it. And enjoy life in this following of Jesus Christ. So my friends, I want to ask you this. Where are you in this race? Like if, if you've been running the race for a while and you're like, man, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I've run and I've studied. I'm fluent in Greek and Hebrew. I'm like, I've been here for a minute. My question is who you're handing this baton off to? And not like, well, I'm handing it off to the next generation. No, like who? Who's the name? Who's the face? You're saying, run with it. If you don't have that, you need to repent. And I'm not trying to cast condemnation on you. I'm trying to invite you into life. But we need to repent from the way that we haven't followed after Christ's own rules. Not rules, words. We're saying, go and make disciples and embrace this life. Who are you giving this to? If you're in this room, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The beauty of this is that Christ has made this life available to you. Maybe you haven't been running this race for a long time. Maybe you came into this room and you're like, I don't know what you people are about. And here's what I'm telling you. We're about inviting others into life. We're about doing what the boys in my small group are doing and running to the least of these. That's why we have the clinic. And we're inviting, the, and we're inviting you in. Maybe your first step of discipleship is to say, I don't have this life, but I want it. Would somebody be willing to hand off this to me? That I could embrace it and embrace a life that matters. <laughs> Friends, if that's you, man, we'll be waiting down here to pray with you. We'll be waiting down here to connect you with someone else. But I would just genuinely ask you, what are you going to do with the small space that we run in to embrace the life that Christ has called you to? Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.